0: (laughs) No. Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Kate. I'm the minister here. We're grateful that you're here. If you're a visitor today, I want to remind you that we have uh, restrooms in the back. Um, a bulletin will guide you throughout our service. We're having communion this morning, but it's very simple, and I'll explain it to you uh, when we get there. Um, a couple of announcements. Um, good news for the week. Um, we actually have a couple things. One, I just noticed we're on my way in the door, is um, we have uh, the harp harp today. Don, my first day, and actually the weeks before I came, people said, got to hear Don play the harp. It's amazing. Uh, So I get to hear that today, too. Um, Reverend George Strait is serving with us today. I'm trying a new way um, to serve communion. Nothing changes for you, but we have two ministers here serving, and um, we've got such amazing retired ministers serving with us um, here that are Kind of like the super friends. They have all have a different superpower uh, that they use for uh, the church, which is fun. Um, but I'm going to invite them all um, to participate um, once a month in our um, communion service, and it's, it's such a pleasure to um, be serving with you, George. I'm going to tell people. I'm going to tell my friends that I did it. Um, another um, good news for the week is um, everybody wants a new directory. No one really wants to do it. Um, no one really wants to participate in it. Um, so, um, Jane Rhodes is um, spearheading that for us and we've got dates um, in March. So, we looked at some dates in the fall but it's really cramped on some hard times that we're going to be tough to get everybody together. Um, we think if we tell you way in advance and we really promote it and we really tell everybody to be here, then we can get everybody and the really big difference in this directory will be you can get a paper version in your hand if that's your thing. But there's going to be a digital version um, that I can have on my phone, staff can have on their phone, which will be um, beyond helpful. And I I can't even tell you how many ways that will be helpful. Um, So that is actually the the first week in March. Those will be coming. We'll be telling you um, far more about that. Uh, So let's turn our hearts towards the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for calling us to your house on this holiday weekend. We ask you to be with those who are traveling for any number of fun reasons. That you help them to be safe. That you help um, everyone in this community, everyone on lakes, on boats, to be as safe as they can possibly be. Bless us in our time this morning, Lord as we take out your holy text, as we sing songs that people have sung for centuries, as we celebrate Holy Communion, the way in which your Son shared with his disciples. Teach us this morning, Lord, about your gracious hospitality. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our first hymn, number 57. seated.
1: and Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no brides. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God, who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: It's now time to give our tithes and other offerings, and if you would pass the attendance register to the outside of your pew. we start a new series today. I'm always excited um, to start a new thing. I want to tell you how grateful I am that y'all are using the attendance register to sign up for things. You know, I asked, asked slash told y'all to do it uh, in the last couple weeks and y'all responded with the dinner reservations and the book reservations and uh, the pumpkins and I'm grateful for that. I think we're going to use that as our model for you letting us know that you would like to do something. Um, So five practices of fruitful congregations. Um, If you ordered a book and you want to get it, it's in the back on your way out the door. We're going to be using it through September and October. And this text in Matthew 18 is a great reason why we're going to use it these two vital months, the first um, fall that I'm here. Uh, Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. And that's on page 1526 in your pew Bible. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, questions like this are the reasons why I want to read this book. We love to rank ourselves, and we love to rank our ministers, and we love to rank our churches. Um, Ministers can be among the worst at doing this sort of thing. And we have a pretty specific way that we do it. Um, It's a number. That's it. It it is, what is your worship attendance? And um, many Christians tend to look down their noses, ironically, at two entirely different things. They look at a church that is rather large, and they think, I don't know what they could be doing. They 're so big, how can they even know who anyone is or who anyone 's doing can 't be there 's no way there 's a personal touch in that church, but people will also look at a tiny congregation and say i don 't know what they could be doing i don 't what resources do they have? What opportunities do they have to serve now what 's funny is those two numbers are different for every single human on earth. Some people think this number is the number, and some people think this number is the number, and, you know, it varies. But we look at different churches, and we wonder if they can be vital given their size. And I guess it's not a surprise that the number that you think is most appropriate for a church is the size of your church. That's why you're here. And that's why um, when you start to have a dip in attendance, you can start to wonder, is our church Doing anything? Are, are we okay? And it's why when you have an increase in your church number, it can also be destabilizing. And you think, uh, I don't know, if I don't know everybody here. And so there's a there's a window of which we determine is tremendous. And we ask ourselves, what number is the greatest? What number? is, What do we want to be? So people will say, especially ministers will say to me, "How's your church doing?" And I'll say. Um, well, everybody's friendly. It, it hasn't been long. Everybody's friendly. We are um, working on improving communication and the systems that we have and the order so that we can be ready for whatever comes. We can communicate at our best. And they go, uh-huh. So how many people are coming? That's what they want to know. They start to glaze over and say, how many people are coming? Um, this was especially the uh, uh, dark for me two churches ago that no matter what my number was, people would say, well, how many people are coming? And I let it get inside my head. And I started obsessing about it. And that sort of behavior is why I want us to read this book. Here's your first quote from the book. At every turn, the disciples seem ready to draw boundaries and distinctions that keep people at a distance from Jesus. They have a thousand reasons to ignore, avoid, and sometimes thwart the approach of people. Reminding Jesus that some of the people are too young, too sick, too sinful, too old, too Roman, too blind, or too Gentile to deserve his attention. Now, why would people want to do that? Why would the disciples want to determine who's the greatest and why would they want to block people out? So I won't only have guesses. First guess is anxiety over their anxiety of do I have what it takes to do this? And generally, when someone feels anxious in the workplace, they tend, to detract, they tend to pull away from other people in the workplace to make sure the eyes are diverted to those people. Some of the most... Um, uh, it's not unconfident. What's the word? Some of, some, of the most, uh, some of the people lacking the confidence the most are the ones that stir it up the most. Because that way, that's the focus. Not their confidence. Another guess is they have amnesia regarding their previous state. Amnesia regarding the fact that they were fishermen out on the water. They weren't really involved in religious life. In fact, I bet you they figured they were on the outside and were not worthy of it. But something about being accepted and something about being close to Jesus all the time, you're around him enough and you start to think, wait, you're accepting this guy? How do you let this guy in? And you start to think there needs to be some sort of rope where you can block people out. The third one is the most dangerous, and that is mistaking Jesus' achievements for their own. And I don't mean that Jesus walked on water and Jesus fed 5,000 plus and they think they did it. What I mean is they understand that Jesus can do it, and they want to dictate who the recipient might be. They want to determine who's worthy of these amazing things that Jesus can do. So they asked him that question, who's the greatest? And Jesus said, he called a little child to him. He placed the child among them and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So they're figuring Jesus has watched us and he can settle it. He can settle who the greatest is among us. So your first thought is Jesus would say, uh, me, (laughs) I get in this debate in a hurry. I'm the greatest. Jesus never once does that. When given a question like that, Jesus will typically deflect it and show someone that they've been ignoring how that person is significant. So he deflects praise to a child. So I was sitting here. Um, with the youth on a uh, on a Wednesday or Sunday night in the sanctuary and I said how much interaction do you think the disciples had with children Okay, so they're men and they're men during that period of time how much interaction do you think they had with little babies how much interaction do you think they had with 5 year olds 8 year olds 12 year olds now it's not that they didn't work hard It's not that they weren't dedicated to their family, but I'm guessing their interaction with children was rather limited. And so for Jesus to say that this person that's this far off the ground is the most significant person, is the greatest among you, you know, uh, this guy? This little kid? So you think, okay, why? Why? Children hug the hardest. Okay, adults will. Adults will pull this deal. You know this little this little side deal. And as a minister, as I've gone through more and more training of respecting people's space, I I will nearly not shake people's hands. You know, you just look. You know, how's it going? Good to see you. Uh, let's do this deal. Um, but certain people, if I know for cert if I know poor certain that somebody wants to be hugged, then I'll hug. Them. Otherwise, so children hug hard. And they hug hard every time. And if you walk out of the room and you come back in the room, they'll celebrate you. They're excited. So, okay, enthusiasm when somebody, enthusiasm with new people, with friendly people. Children are pretty straightforward. That's good and bad. They will just tell you what it is and they'll tell you how they're feeling and they'll tell you what's going on with the situation um, my father loves to say that I was like five and we went into a um, interstate rest area and I said hey guy didn't have a shirt on daddy and he went mm-hmm yep let's just let's just stay focused on the task a hand let's not talk about the guy we just point out things we say things this might be the most important children need guidance They may not admit it all the time, but they understand they have things to learn. You ever hear an adult say, you know, I'm done learning. That's it. A child has to be always learning and willing. So here's your second quote. We too were once strangers to the faith, residing outside the community where we now find rich resources of meaning, grace, hope, friendship, and service. We belong to the body of Christ because of someone's hospitality. Someone brought us there. Someone along the way, whether you were in Texas or Pittsburgh or upstate New York or Greer, South Carolina, somewhere along the way, somebody said, we're going to church today. And that made enough of an impression on you that you continue to come. And so a child knows that they need to go. A child's excited about going. Children will bring their parents to church. So we need to know that we were once scared, once humble, and once in need of guidance. You recognize that. And you recognize that that doesn't end. And you recognize that you can get those here. Then you understand how important it is to be at the feet of Jesus. They were wondering if they had figured everything out and which one had figured it out the most and which one was the greatest. Jesus was saying, this humble child... Is the greatest amongst you. Verse 4 says, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Final quote. According to Wesley, that is John Wesley, the author of this book is a United Methodist bishop, before people ever consciously come to faith, they have inner desires for a relationship with, to God that are stifled forgotten, neglected, ignored, or denied. Think about that. Think about every human you know. Think about the the thing that is built in them to have a relationship with God. And think about the ways along the way that that has been one of those five things. Stifled, forgotten, neglected, ignored, denied. And think how sad that is. and think, what can our church do about that? What can we do to encourage people to come, to encourage them to feel welcome here, to encourage them to take out the hymnal, to encourage them to take out the Bible? What can we do that is so full of hospitality that people will then reach out to this inner thing inside them? Because if we are practicing radical hospitality, if we're welcoming people, we're vital. Somebody says, what's your number? I, I don't care what my number is. We're vital. So there's five of them. Radical hospitality. You know, hospitality is good morning. Radical hospitality is we've anticipated every need figuring you were coming today. Passionate worship is the second one. Not the style that you worship, not the time that you worship, not the location that you worship, but that you worship like it matters. Like you want to be here and like it matters that you do the things that we do in worship. The third one is intentional faith development. So Sundays are great. Being worship is great. But what are we doing to get better throughout the week so that Sunday is the culmination of what we've done, not the end of what we will do? The fourth one is risk-taking mission and service. What are you doing to reach out to your community in a way that scares you, in a way that intimidates you? And the fifth one is um, extravagant generosity. We all have time, varying levels. We all have talents in varying ways. We all have to make it a third T, we all have treasure, we all have um, Uh, money that we can offer, different programs in the church, all on varying levels. What are we doing to do those five things is what we are asking. And when we're answering those questions we are trying to be a vital church. We're trying to be a vital church to reach out to the stifled, to the forgotten, to the neglected, to the ignored, and to the denied. Because we were once on the outside and someone brought us in. Let us pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your invitation to us throughout our lives. And as we sometimes accepted it, and as we rejected it, and as we listened but didn't quite answer, you persisted. You persisted in those loved ones, friends, co-workers around us who invited us to come. Give us faithful hearts, Lord, throughout this week. That as we come forward for communion, as we approach your table, that we are invited to faithfully invite others through our actions, through our words, and most importantly, through our listening to their story. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please take out your hymnal and turn to page 12. For word and table two. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please turn to the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts.
2: We lift up to the Lord.
0: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
2: It is right to give our thanks
0: to Christ. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to invite those serving to come forward. In the United Methodist Church, all who want to come forward for Holy Communion are welcome to do so. We serve by coming forward and kneeling. And so our ushers are going to guide you um, to our sides. And you're going to fill in from the outside to the inside. It's my great pleasure, as I mentioned, to have uh, Reverend Strait here serving with us. And so we're going to each serve one side, but we're going to release you together, all together, at one time. We have um, gluten-free elements. If you need gluten-free elements, they're on the points of each one. So as you go by in any direction you're going, please grab the gluten-free element should you need it. The ushers are gonna bring you from the outside and after you've um, been released from the bench, if you'll go back to the middle. If you're unable to kneel, please feel free to stand. If you're unable to come forward, please let our ushers know and we will come absolutely directly um, to you. I'll invite the choir to join us. Let us pray. Lord, when we wonder to ourselves and out loud if we're worthy to walk into the church, and then we wonder outside to ourselves and out loud if others are welcome to the church, are worthy of it, remind us of your grace, of your hospitality, of your invitation to all to come to the table so that we can keep it very simple that we are not worthy, but you have reached out to us in love. Help us to have that attitude, that mindset, those words, those actions, those listening ears throughout this week. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Our final hymn this morning is Blessed Be the Tide That Binds," number 557. peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and power and presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen.